Welcome to the Prodigy Maker Show with Chris Lewitt. Chris Lewitt is an internationally recognized high-performance coach, educator, and author of two best-selling books, The Tennis Technique Bible and The Secrets of Spanish Tennis. Tune in weekly as Chris answers questions live from around the world and discusses topics in junior development, technical and tactical training, Spanish tennis methods and philosophies, and more. The show can be watched live at youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt. And now, here's Chris. It's the Prodigy Maker Show, episode 72, with yours truly, Chris Lewitt. It's good to be back. Guys, I'm sorry for the uh, big break there, but we haven't done a show since the summer or the early spring, and so I'm looking to try to get back on track and start posting the show regularly again and and getting the podcast up and rolling again. I know uh, a lot of the diehard fans missed uh, the show, but I wanted to catch you guys up on what's happening. On this show, I want to talk about my recent trips to Spain and the current state of Spanish tennis and Spanish tennis coaching and training. And if you have any questions about what's going on in Spain and with Spanish tennis, please shoot those at me. Or if you have any junior development questions, also please let me know. Feel free to post those here, any comments or questions, and I'll, I'll be happy to answer live. Of course, you can also email me or shoot me a WhatsApp or cell phone message. But what I've been up to is I made a couple trips to Spain. I took some players to Spain, and, and I haven't been to Spain. Well, I did go last summer for a short trip to visit Juan Carlos Ferrero's academy. Uh, it's called Ecolite in uh, Vienna and a few other academies in Barcelona. But I spent most of my time at JC Ferrero and I, I got to watch Alcaraz practice there. And I, I spent a lot of time observing their academy. We can talk about that a little bit. But in this last uh, summer, I went for a few weeks with some players to Barcelona again. And uh, and I just came back from another trip, uh, just a short trip for a week. So I feel like I'm starting to wrap my head around what's happening in Spanish tennis currently. And I think I can share with you some insight based on my experience, having been going to Spain now for, I calculate about 17 years. It's, it would be 20 without COVID, the COVID years. The, the, um, those were bad years, but didn't get to travel. So about 17 years of experience, I figure I've been to Spain more than 30 times now making study trips. So I have a unique perspective on the Spanish tennis arena and, and the history and what's been going on there. So I want to talk about that and just give you my thoughts about Spanish tennis. What I've been doing is been very busy since getting back from the summer coaching full time here at the club in Manchester, Vermont. So I have players. I have um some players who are living here training with me and I have lots of players visiting from around the country, which is very exciting for me. You know, I've only been here for a couple of years now. I'm originally from New York City and now I am still training kids in New York City once a week. So I have a, a large group of kids that I train in the New York City area. But for the first time, I have players coming to my own home, my own tennis home, my own club which is uh, growing, which is very exciting for me. Players visiting from all over. Now all over the world, I have uh, players coming in from Canada, from Australia, from, you know, fan, some, some, of the, uh, some of the people visiting are fans of the show or some of the people are fans of my book. And so for me to see this club that I basically renovated and brought back to life in middle of nowhere in the beautiful mountains of Vermont to see people being drawn here and they come to receive professional training, professional technical training in biomechanics and also of course to train the Spanish way. It's very exciting for me. You never know when you take the risk to do something big like a big project like buying a club and putting your roots down. You don't know if people are going to even show up. So for me this is a very exciting time where people are starting to know that I'm here, I'm training kids professionally, developing top juniors, in the, basically in the middle of nowhere, here in the mountains, no distractions, beautiful natural setting, and we can just work hard the Spanish way, can suffer up here and train professionally with 
no one to bother us. So it's a pretty special thing. I've been working hard on that. I have the new book coming out, Secrets of Spanish Tennis 2. Be on the lookout for that. It should be coming out early next year, 2024. I'm not sure when the publisher is going to push it out, but I'll keep you guys posted. Very exciting. Lots of updates, new chapters, new drills, in addition to the original thesis, you know, on what makes Spanish tennis so great and what makes Spanish coaching so, or the training system so special. So I'm excited about that. And I'm going to begin working on my new book, uh, which we were working on the title. It's just, it's going to be a, an update to my first technical book, which I called the, tech, the Tennis Technique Bible. I'm going to possibly uh, take that content and reshape it, add a lot of modern information about technique and biomechanics, and retitle the book. We're, we're not sure what the title is going to be, but it's going to be a technical handbook, a technical book for coaches, parents, and players, basically trying to teach you guys how to build world-class tennis technique in all the stroke departments. So I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm doing a lot of study this winter on, you know, new players coming up, new techniques on tour, new footworks, new, uh, all the new, um, trends in the modern game, because I originally wrote that technique book going back to 2009, I believe. So it's a lot of the information in the Tennis Technique Bible. Some of it's very timeless and good, and some of it I want to update and uh, make, uh, you know, basically address what's happening in the modern game as, as young players are coming up with new techniques. That's what really fascinates me as a technician and as someone who studies biomechanics very closely. I, I love watching the young, new, uh, the next generation of players coming up on the professional tour and on the ITF world circuit and trying to determine where the future of tennis technique is going, where uh, how biomechanics are changing and what's remaining the same and what's what's changing. And then I like to bring that to you guys and bring that to my students so that I can teach on the cutting edge. You know, I don't like to teach the past. I'm very big on teaching the modern progressive uh, tennis technique. So that's what I've been up to primarily, just doing a lot of coaching doing a lot of traveling and haven't been able to get the show going, but I think we're back on track now. I'm back here in Manchester full time now. Uh, I shouldn't have too many travel trips coming up and I should be able to just focus on coaching and, and trying to promote the show and, and our YouTube channel. We're trying to grow the channel as well. So if you don't mind, consider subscribing and telling your friends. We're trying to grow this intelligent community on YouTube. I think we have a strong, passionate following, but I think we should have it you know, a lot more uh, subscribers. I just don't think many people are getting my content in their feed and they don't even know that I, that, that we have a, um, good information for, especially for parents. And I do have a lot of coaches also who enjoy the channel. Anyway, guys, let's talk about Spanish tennis. So I'll tell you right from the bat, I just wanted to talk about how, how I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed in Spanish tennis right now and what's happening in Spain. I don't want to be kind of a, a downer, but to me, I've been to a lot of academies now and I'm not going to like throw any specific names out there or put any academies under, under the bus because I have a lot of good relationships in Spain and I just want to keep it respectful. But I, I see in some ways a deterioration of the academies, the quality of the training in Spain. I think I just wanted to bring that to my audience's attention that there are some places now that are, you know, not the same. Some of the larger academies, I feel, struggle with um, a desire to make a lot of money, like a monetization, a commercialization. Many academies, academies in Spain, I've spoken about this before on this program, where it didn't used to be sort of a money-driven academy model in Spain. Back in the day, when I used to make my early study trips in the early 2000s, Spain was still sort of raw, and it was the early days of success that the academies were having. There were fewer academies. There were some big-name academies back in the day. And they kept it real you know it, it wasn't sort of a money-making operation so much as as you had some incredible 
brilliant, passionate coaches like Luis Bruguera, like William Pato Alvarez, uh, and Emilio Sanchez and Sergio Casal, who were the protégés of Pato Alvarez. And they, like, for example, in Barcelona, those two academies were the standout academies that, that started, were a big part of the, the, the great success that Spain had going back, you know, a couple decades. And those academies now are, are still, well, Bruguera Academy's closed. Emilio Sanchez Academy is still going, but I think they, they you know, they have some issues because they're, they're spread out across the globe now. Emilio's amazing. He has academies now, I think, in four different uh, countries. But the original uh, teaching staff that at Emilio Sanchez is, is not there anymore. Sergio Casal retired. Um, you can still get good training at Emilio Sanchez, but the Bruguera Academy is gone, for example, and they've reconstituted as Bardot. So now Bardot is a smaller academy. Luis Bruguera is still working with players there, which is pretty special that the, the great legend of Spain, Luis Bruguera, is still there, still on the court. Pato Alvarez has passed away. He used to work with players at the Emilio Sanchez Academy, which is formerly known as Sanchez Casal. He's unfortunately passed away in the last two years, which is really sad. So his presence is not there at that at that academy anymore. I think those, for me personally, my journey in Spain started with those two guys, you know, Pato Alvarez and Luis Bruguera. Luis is getting older. Um, thank goodness he's still healthy and on the court. And Pato Alvarez is no longer with us. So like those two... You know, what I argued, one of the theses in my book was that those two coaching legends were instrumental in the rise of Spanish tennis, and I, 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 will, I will stand by that. I think they are uh, very, very important figures in the history of Spanish tennis, and they had tremendous influence on the, coach, the coaches, uh, the next generation of coaches, the coaching culture. And, and now, as, as, as they're getting, as, as that influence is growing, as, as those two, as younger generations of coaches are taking over in Spain, I think you see a lot of derivative coaching. And that's sort of how I would describe it. Everything is a derivative. Everything's kind of like a copy or perhaps younger coaches trying to innovate. And I think some younger coaches are doing that well and some are not, not doing it so well. And so you have, a, a, I think, un, uneven quality all across the country now and you have this tremendous growth of new academies and a, a multitude of academies uh, a plethora of academies you know a myriad of academies there's academies everywhere now in Spain it never used to be like that it used to be like some of the big names and and it seems that every you have all these splinter groups of younger coaches and coaches who used to work at at Bruguera or Emilio Sanchez or some of the big names and now they're off doing their own thing with something small and it could be good like it could be good training or it it could be poor quality or uneven quality and I think as a as a parent or a player you have to be really careful where you, whom you trust in Spain now and I think in decades past I think I could have just closed my eyes and um, put my finger on a, on, on a spot in Spain and said, go there and you'll get really high quality training. And now I don't feel that way. I feel like there's a lot of pitfalls in Spain. There's a lot of uneven uh, quality of training across the country and across different academies. And there's just so many, there's so many training centers to even track. Like, I don't think I could even visit them all. I used to take pride in visiting all of them physically. And now I think there's just too many to even manage and, and, you know, even not just in Barcelona, but, you know, going south to Valencia or, or Alicante. And then now there's Rafa Nadal Academy is a huge presence in, on the island of Mallorca. And so I get many queries about where to train and I try to steer people in the right direction where they can get quality training. But I think you have to be more and more wary and also you have to be on the lookout for uh, coaches and uh, academy directors who are, you know, out to make 
money, you know, there's kind of money driven operations where maybe the quality might suffer. You have to, you have to make sure it's okay for people to want to make money. Obviously I have no problem with that, but just feel like it, maybe I'm a little bit nostalgic for the, the old days where maybe money wasn't the most important thing. And the, it was sort of like this small country, these, uh, few dynamic leaders like Luis Bergara, Pato Alvarez, and a few others that could put maybe like Tony Nadal in that category, uh, uh, one generation later, a little bit younger, and, you know, um, Antonio Cascales down in Ale the Alicante area, people like that who were going up against the world and focusing on trying to build out, build champion players with a with a new type of training system, a new a new method, you know, a new work system, and I sort of miss those days. Now, I think there's a lot of hype, there's a lot of marketing, there's a lot uh, a lot of pitfalls, and and the level of training is is unequal. And I think sometimes you have to be careful that one of the things that always made Spanish tennis amazing is the intensity of training, the hard work, the suffering. And as you might realize, as you tried to make more money, if you, as you tried to grow your, the amount of players visiting, sometimes that's, uh, that's where you make compromises. You maybe don't want to push the players quite so hard. You don't want all the kids to suffer because that might be a turnoff for some of the players coming in. If you have an academy that's very, very expensive per week, for example, you need a certain clientele to come and those kids they may not be that serious they may not be the the ones who want to suffer you know and i think it, you have to be careful in spain now because if uh you go to the wrong place you might end up in kind of a country club luxury environment which is the antithesis of what spanish training started as spanish training is was gritty and still is to, in some some places gritty, hard, all about hard work, intensity, suffering, things like that. You, you don't want to. I think some places have lost that, and I think the Spanish academies still suffer from a lot of the problems that I pointed out 20 years ago. You know that I noticed in my initial trips to Spain, which I, I don't talk about much in the book, but things that are missing from Spanish training. I've written articles about it, so. There's some amazing things that they do well in Spain, and I've always felt that there are things that they could do better. And for me, going back almost 20 years later, I'm actually a little bit shocked that many of the academies that I know and the training systems have not really changed that much, have not really adapted. And I think that's essential for any country or any system or method to evolve and so you can compete with other systems and other methods in other countries who are also trying to basically it's like a, a battle like a competition you know every country has a training model and every country is basically competing with each other in terms of their systems their way of training their work system and and who, to see who can develop the top players in the world and i think spain you know, I was going to talk a little bit more at the end of the program, but I think Spain, it, it brings up some questions to me, like what's going to happen to Spain? I know Alcaraz is new and fresh and he's amazing. We can talk about Alcaraz a little bit on this show a little bit later, but like what's going to happen for the future of Spanish tennis if uh, they're losing some of the quality, if the, the, the academy scene has become more and more corporate and money-driven. I'm not sure what's going to happen to Spain. Maybe nothing will happen. Maybe it will, it will remain a one of the premier destinations in the world for tennis, and there'll be a bifurcation. There'll be different levels. There'll be places for rich kids who are spoiled and don't want to work. There'll be places for them to train in Spain, and there'll be, tra there'll be places for the serious, hard-working kids who want to suffer as well. And may maybe that's okay. Maybe that's just inevitable as the country receives so much success they they receive so much attention and more and more people wanted to go there maybe it was inevitable that that there were entrepreneurs who wanted to make money from the spanish way of training and maybe that's okay but i hope personally that spain can kind of keep its essence in, in at least in the serious 
places that are still doing high performance training a lot of times that's some of the smaller academies that are less corporate or less commercial i think that's very true you try to look for academies that are that are more real more hardcore and you have to be very cautious when you go to one of the commercial larger commercial academies you can usually still find good training and good coaching at those places but it's it's harder and it can be a little more risky nowadays you have to make sure you maybe you know someone there or you can connect with uh get more personalized coaching at those places um you know you have to watch out for sort of touristy tourist driven academies things luxury type um academies and i think you also also have to be very careful of sort of I, i've seen this a lot in spain and i know i know what happens at other academies too i don't know maybe spain's just becoming like you know basically the way florida is you know you have places and academies where you can get elite training amazing training but you have to be sort of a top level player and then there's a split there's a dichotomy where other there's a there's a whole another section or group of kids who are really not getting that serious training they're not being pushed the intensity is not there the the coaches may not be as as gifted and those kids are sort of swelling the ranks of maybe the some other program and you have to watch out that your kid is not getting placed in the wrong program and that could be for the summertime uh, or that could be also uh, even for the school year programs but in general uh, even in the the few academies that i mentioned you're probably much better off in the school year programs the annual programs those programs tend to have more serious training the best coaches work in those programs and they tend to push harder with they send the, they tend to set the standards higher you have to be i think especially careful going to spain in the summertime where there is that push to monetize and some of the larger commercial programs your kid can just get lost in a in a low low intensity environment or with lower you know lowered standards because you know the academies are bringing in lots and lots of volume of students who want to you know train in Spain but those kids aren't able to do the the real Spanish training you know they're not able to commit and suffer and and give the intensity uh or or meet the intensity that that uh, originally was part of the you know as part of the Spanish way and I wrote about a whole, whole chapter in my book about suffering and then in Spain it you, you you know the whole point is you you go there and you get pushed hard with there are high standards for work for work ethic you know so those are some some thoughts I have in Spain I want to just talk about the things I still see that they do very well in Spain for example and I've talked about this many times and I've written about it in my book the movement is beautiful you know the 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 way they teach positioning and control of the body postural control when you when you're moving around the court efficiency of movement that relates to consistency being solid i think that's a beautiful thing in spain you, you go to spain to to become a better mover usually you play on clay not at all academies now but you know the the good ones have a lot of clay courts available for your kid to learn how to how to grind and how to uh, construct points and how to basically develop your shot tolerance on slow red clay and your movement because the clay is also slippery so you you develop better movement on on clay and you work the, the obsession with positioning and and posture and balance is is a beautiful thing in Spain it's one of the great great strengths of the Spanish system so you go to spain to to learn that to work on that for example to become more solid from the back court to become steady to develop shot tolerance to develop patience and control those are really important aspects of spanish tennis and the spanish tennis system or method even though some coaches say there is no system i i don't believe i heard many spanish coaches tell me that there's no system there's no method i i don't i don't really believe that there's there's clearly a th- there are thematic elements in spanish training there are there are similarities and um there are similarities across 
from academy to academy and, and legendary coach to legendary coach in Spain, there's, there are many common themes. And to me, that is a met, that's part of a method. And you can, you can definitely see that in uh, the Spanish tennis world. What else did they do well in Spain? The forehand. You know, very classically in Spain, they develop a really great forehand. And some of that is from the teaching system or method of Tony Nadal. Uh, some of that is from the Bruguera system, the beautiful uh, Bruguera teaching system, which I'm worried may go extinct if Luis stops coaching or Luis has health issues. You know, that I'm worried that that beautiful method of training. I studied that method for many, many years is, uh, it may, may go, uh, may not, who, who's going to keep that torch? Uh, who's going to carry that torch into the next generation? You know, um, the forehand, the, the dominant forehand weapon with the racket speed and the acceleration and the, the RPM, that, that's a beautiful thing that they work on in Spain, a dominant forehand. And Tony Nadal, for example, always says that the forehand is the most important shot in the pro game. So I think that focus is a big part of Spanish training, or at least it should be. You know, one of the issues I have is that when you make a copy of, of something great, sometimes the derivative is not as good. The copy is not as clear or the copy gets a little bit mess, messed up. The lines become blurry. And I think when you make a copy of a copy of a copy and you, and you lose connection to the great ones uh, or the great, the great teachers of your country, sometimes that leads many of the younger coaches, the younger generation of coaches to, to make mistakes, you know, to not really understand what they're doing. I was just talking to Luis Bruguera a couple weeks ago about this where I feel a lot of the younger coaches that I see, a lot of those younger coaches in a in a drive to make more money, they go out on their own and they start their own academies. It could be good, it could be bad. You have to be careful. But those coaches are doing drills that I know where they're from because I studied the history of Spanish tennis. But I think a lot of those coaches don't even realize maybe the reason that they're doing the drill or the application or the purpose. They may just do drills. You, you see it also in other countries that are copying the Spanish way. I see many coaches in the US or on Instagram who are doing a Spanish drill, but you, you don't, they don't really know why they're doing it. It may not be the right time to do it. It may not be the right student to do it with. They may not understand the reason they're doing it. And they may not know what to say or look for during the actual exercise itself. So it's just, it's just sort of a copy. And they say flattery is the highest, um, is, is like the highest, uh, Copying is the highest form of, uh, you know, like the respect that, and, and, um, that you give to someone's work. You know, if you copy someone, it's, it's the, you hold that work in the highest regard. You know, like I've copied many, many coaches. All of my, all of my coaching is, um, a lot of my coaching is derivative too. All great coaches steal and copy. And, and that, that, that shows a lot of respect for the person you're stealing from, you know. But ideally you take, you understand what you're, what you're, what you're taking and how to apply it. Luis Bruguera always told me, don't, uh, don't, don't copy my, I said like, don't copy my, he, he sort of, the, the gist of it was like, don't copy my, my system, follow my method, like use my methodology. Don't just copy my, my drills and my system, uh, in a rote way. Try to try to learn my method and then learn to apply my method in based on the individual in front of you. That's kind of what Luis Berger always tries to you know always tried to tell me, and I've seen him you know explain that to other coaches too. But it's sort of like under, really understand what you're doing, really understand why you would use this drill for a certain player, and have a work system that where you can select drills that where it makes sense that can, can can develop something in a player and bring bring their level up rather than just following some rote exercises that used to be a criticism that Luis Bruguera had of Pato Alvarez's work sometimes he felt that Pato Alvarez sometimes that's a criticism of Pato Alvarez that he had sort of a, a, a fixed series of exercises that he always did and some coaches said well that that that's too general like that's not you know, the, the application of that is, is not 
there's no specificity for the the student. You know, it's not. And I think that Pop Dolvers definitely adjusted his drills based on the player, what he's trying to work on. But he also had a series of of drills that you did, basically in, in general drills that you do every day. That was sort of the, the prescription from Pop Dolvers. So maybe, you know, that maybe that some of that criticism was valid. Uh, you know, no coach is perfect, but but now I see a lot of younger coaches trying this trying that maybe the good ones are are innovating and that's that's positive you take something you make it even better but i think you you don't want to lose sight of the of the original and what what made the original great i guess that's what i'm trying to say and i think that's happening a lot in spain now it's somehow tied into the 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 drive for for money and the commercialization of academies in spain but i feel there's a lot of coaches, clearly, I, I track a lot of uh, Spanish tennis on social media, and I see things that are sort of, don't look so good. The quality doesn't look so good. The drill, it, it, it is a Spanish drill, or it's a version of a Spanish drill, but it, it's not done to at the right intensity. It may not be, this, the, the detail and the way the player is performing the drill is not, it's not that good. Like the way the player is doing it's a little sloppy, or the application may not, be the right may not be helpful for the player you know I've been, I watch coaches work all the time whether in Spain and now I try to um, follow some of the you, know, you can't get to every academy now there's so many I try to follow some of the academies on on socials or online or through you can some sometimes find good videos uh, on YouTube or other socials and you know, it's it's important that that you innovate and you you never just stay static and and um, keep con you know keep a, a system in going without any evolution. But at the same time, you 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 don't want to just use drills randomly and and lose a whole uh, philosophy and methodology that 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 has a lot of uh, that. That a legendary coach put a lot of time and thought into, and then now you're just sort of taking, grabbing this drill, grabbing that drill, and 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 you're sort of scattered, you know, working without a philosophy or a, a clear methodology. I think that's a danger in Spain now. That didn't really used to be that way in Spain. There just weren't that many places to train, and the places where you did train, they had a very clear philosophy, and and they had a very, um, very good methodology that was that, that a logical methodology so i'll just that's an, another observation that i have in terms of alcaraz should we talk a little bit about alcaraz it reminds me of the um the academy in vienna the juan Carlos ferro academy i think you can make a good case that Antonio Cascales is possibly the greatest coach in Spain right now, maybe along with Juan Carlos Ferrero. I know Juan Carlos would love to have that moniker. I'm sure he would like that title of the, the greatest coach in Spain, perhaps of the world. And maybe he's entitled to that. Maybe it's, maybe it's valid. But Antonio Cascales is sort of the coach who works in the shadows. I, de I dedicated a chapter in my... Uh, in the new book, The Secrets of Spanish Tennis, on Antonio Cascales. And the guy is, is incredible. He's very soft-spoken. I just had an interview with him last June. And he works behind the scenes. He doesn't... I've never seen him yell. I've never seen him scream at a player. Very calm, soft-spoken. Says less, you know, less is more but very insightful, has a great historical perspective. And there's an example of, he's an older coach, but, but he has a clear connection with the past. He understands, has a very clear philosophy of training, a clear methodology, and he's innovating the Spanish way, but he's maintaining a link to the past. He understands the origins of all the drills and the, the, the method of training and things like that. And I think that's very, very important. I think what's ha what's happened in Vienna in that little t town with Juan Carlos Ferrero and Carlos Alcaraz and Antonio Cascales advising them is just, it's amazing. It's incredible that 
two number one players have come out of that small town, basically, in the middle of nowhere, in the farmland, in Spain, an hour from the nearest city. And those players are are under the auspices of Antonio Cascales. It's not a coincidence. You know, that guy is guiding great great development for for junior players and he's he's in, he, he he's amazing and nobody ever talks about him he's not as famous as Tony Nadal he's certainly not as famous as uh, Luis Bruguera or Pato Alvarez although those two guys are probably less less prominently known either outside of the country I, I worked very hard to try to spotlight those two legends and in this next version of the book I put a whole chapter in uh, with Antonio Cascales because I think he's a very important figure in Spanish tennis, especially now with the rise of Alcaraz. I wanted to mention just briefly one more thing that I have a big problem with in Spain. It's been almost 20 years, and in Spain, most of the places still don't use a lot of uh, technology. They They are, I don't want to say Luddites, but... It feels that way sometimes. They, 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 don't, they don't embrace technology for the on-court training in Spain. Related to Juan Carlos Ferrero's academy, that's one of the things that I always noticed about Juan Carlos Ferrer, Ferrero and, and Antonio Cascales. They embrace technology more so than any other academy in Spain. Maybe now Rafa Nadal Academy is also modern in that way, progressive in that way. But a lot of the... The really good academies in Spain, historically, they don't use a lot of technology. And that could, that could be just simply using uh, swing vision or like AI software to track matches, which, uh, which we're using now a lot at my club, which is a great software, by the way. And we're a partner with swing vision now. A lot of my players are using that at tournaments to uh, tag matches and send the videos back to me or... It could just be simple video analysis programs like Dartfish or, or other uh, high-speed capture and an, uh, analyzers, uh, analysis programs. And related to that is a lack of biomechanical knowledge and a, lot, a lack of application of biomechanics. In Spain, you don't really hear much talk about high-level techniques, specific techniques, specific biomechanical elements. I think the level of technical training in regards to biomechanics is very rudimentary in Spain, surprisingly so, shockingly so. After 20 years or more, I haven't really seen much evolution in that regard across the, the country, which I think is a big, big uh, mistake. And I think that Spanish, pro I've said this before, I think that Spanish programs should embrace technology and biomechanics and video analysis and analytics, things like that, and they just still, old habits die hard. The cultural predilections die hard. Related to that is the, the lack of serving expertise in Spain. I, I've said this many times. You don't take your kid to Spain. You don't go to Spain to learn how to serve. And this relates to the lack of biomechanical knowledge and application, and it relates to the the lack of uh, technical analysis, video analysis. The serve is, is the only shot in tennis that's stationary. It's very amenable to video analysis, very amenable, amenable to biomechanical study. There's a lot of biomechanical research on the serve as opposed to dynamic shots that are in movement and that have a lot of variation. The serve is, is something that can be easily or more easily quantified. And I just there's just been no movement on that in Spain and I think it's a real shame you know I recently brought a player to Spain and had uh, frankly uh, a lot of battles with uh, with uh, some of the teams there on just some some basic elements of biomechanics that I was trying to teach my players and I just I think that's that's crazy it's crazy it's 2024 you know and you know Using technology and video analysis to study the serve should be de rigueur, should be just par for the course, should be, you know, just a common practice. And you just don't see that that much in Spain. I think 
uh, Spanish academies are in danger of losing players to other countries who are more who are embracing technology more because a lot of parents demand that a lot of parents want that a lot of players want that not all but uh, but for the parents that want more technical analysis you just you're going to be you're going to have a real frustrated parent or player who's in Spain they may go to a different country maybe they'll go to France or they'll go to uh, an, an academy where there's a, a, an embrace of technology and, and where they can get more detailed analysis, which is sometimes warranted, sometimes needed. I also think that the traditional Spanish method is still suffers from criticism that I've seen. I've heard coach. I, I remember probably 15, 20 years ago, I was in Spain and a coach was visiting with some top players and we were taught, we were chatting about Spanish tennis and I wanted to get his perspective because he, it was his first time in Spain. He didn't know anything about it. And he said he was shocked that there was not that much work on the serve and not that much work on the return. And 90% of the training was the middle of the point, you know, the work in the middle of the point. And I, I, I think the Spanish Academy still primarily across the country are doing that. They're, they're training the middle of the point. Not so much serve, not so much return, not so much patterns linking the serve and return to uh, the rest of the point, but a lot of like the middle. So that means the movement and the consistency gets good, but it's sort of divorced from the rest of the game. Whereas a lot of modern training systems are, are really focusing on the serve, the first shot after the serve, the return and the first shot after the return and then sort of linking that with the with the ground stroke rally that kind of thing and it's you know decades have gone by nothing has changed in spain one additional um criticism if you call it that is that in spain for some kids the system's just not going to work because most of the system is endless tough drilling baskets after baskets very tough, repetitive, rote drilling. And I happen to know that some personalities just, they don't learn well that way. They, they don't, that you lose a lot of kids with a system like that. Now, some kids can handle it. I have a young girl that I'm coaching right now. God bless her heart. She likes that, that tough, repetitive drilling. But a lot of kids don't. And they don't, they, they lose engagement. They lose motivation. It's very demoralizing over time. It, it's demotivating over time to just do basket after basket after boring rote drill. And I, I think the Spanish model could easily evolve and do a little more live ball patterns, maybe a little games-based uh, patterns and competing and then transition to, to, the, to the, drill, the tough drilling. You know, things like, I'm not saying water down the system completely and and lose what makes Spanish tennis great, the tough stuff. But I'm saying, why not try to make a training model that captures more uh, kids with different learning styles and different personalities? I've always felt that's a weakness in Spain. And, and for some kids, they go to Spain and they, they can't stand it. You know, after a while, they're just like, I just want to like create. I want to like play and create points. And like, you know, it, it's really hard for some kids to learn with that type of like endless repetition from a basket, like doing baskets and baskets and baskets. And so in a lot of places in Spain, they still do that. You know, they still do that. Uh, for example, I brought players to Spain and they've done weeks and weeks of baskets without the coaches ever really watching the kids play, like really getting to know them. Like you, you really... I firmly believe you don't really know a player until you watch them play. And that, that's where you learn a lot about a player. You learn about their personality. You learn about their character. You learn how they, how creative their mind is, how they like to construct points, their style. And I brought many players from many years to Spain where sometimes they spend week in, week out, baskets every day, baskets and baskets and baskets. And, and it's basically like the military. Like you either do it, or they say, out, you know, get out. And that, that sort of stubbornness and rigidity is still a big part of the Spanish culture of training, you know, across many academies. And uh, 
for better or for worse. You can say, well, that's the, that, that's the way we do it. You know, a lot of Spanish coaches say that's the way we do it. We keep it real. We're tough. And if you don't want to suffer like that, you can go somewhere else. And other places, maybe, I want to be careful because some places might change that in order to bring in more players and reduce the intensity. I'm not saying reduce the intensity of the work. I'm not saying make it easy so you can make a lot more money. I'm saying you could adapt or evolve that training system just to, to engage a, a larger, a wider group of players. And it would, I think it wouldn't hurt the system that much, and it would be better. It would be better for the development of a lot of those kids, you know, who are not just little machines. You know, they're like human beings. And they have different learning styles. Not every kid is the same in terms of the way they learn. So I think, you know, it's, it's a little bit like the Stone Ages in terms of... Uh, uh, the methodology as it relates to learning styles and, and different personalities and things like that, you know. I got a few questions here in the comments. Um, Dimitri, what forehand grip is popular in Spain? Yeah, I would say semi-Western. If you look at Alcaraz, very interesting that he has less than a semi-Western. He has a conservative grip closer to a composite grip, closer to an Eastern grip like Roger Federer. He, he has a very similar grip to Roger Federer. So you see some players in that area of the country, um, Alicante, some of the academies down there teaching very conservative grips, which is nice. You see like um, uh, another example would be like Bautista Agut, very conservative grips. But in other parts of the country, they don't stress uh, if a player has a Western grip. You know, I think that like I know for a fact in the Bruguera, camp, you know, the Bruguera method and their, then that lineage, they, the, the grip is not really relevant. Like the player can grab the stick anyway they want. And Luis will probably, I think he believes he'll just work with whatever, however the kid grabs the racket. So I think that is, um, that is also an interesting trend in Spain where you see some of the coaches who are maybe trying to evolve the method in Spain, they're using more conservative grips so that the players can take the ball on the rise and take the ball earlier. And then you see some of the old guard, like in the Bruguera style, that uh, players are allowed to just sort of grab the racket any natural way they want. There's kind of that philosophy that you grab the racket the way you want and you play with that and you're going to get really good at however you grab it. You know, uh, I have another interesting question here from... Um, another friend of the channel, what is Geoffrey Porter's approach to the forehand? Um, uh, that, that's a good question. I, I could ask Geoffrey. I'm, I'm in close contact with him. I think he believes in building acceleration and throwing the racket uh, aggressively to the ball. And I'm, I'm pretty certain, I, I don't want to speak for him, but I'm, I'm almost certain he believes in building that forehand as a dominant weapon pretty much Pretty much every coach in Spain ascribes to that philosophy of, of using, you know, the inside out, inside in, moving around the forehand and dominating with the, with the, that, moving around the backhand and dominating with that shot. I, I can, I don't, I don't want to speak for him, but I'm 95% sure that that's, that's his take on that. Uh, the one who is the most obsessed with racket speed is, comes from Bruguera. Bruguera has this obsession with racket speed and and so coaches who study with Bruguera or took a conference with Bruguera or were somehow influenced by Bruguera or, or another coach from that Bruguera lineage they always work on you, you see like common themes in Spain of like the racket speed the uh, rapid fire feeding to try to overload the arm and to try to get more speed of the racket that's a Bruguera mantra that's a Bruguera uh, thematic element Really, that's an important part of the Bruguera method. And players who sort of studied a little more with uh, Pato Alvarez or the Milo Sanchez uh, lineage, that's, that style of coaching in Spain, they, they tend not to do those types of drills or have the same obsession with the forehand. Um, you'd have to elaborate on that question, Mario. I trained to a player's nature and physical ability because I, I'm not sure what you mean specifically usually good coaches try to adjust their training to the player's personality and physical traits. So I, I would agree with you, but if you have a specific question, I can try to answer. So I wanted to just talk briefly. The show's running. 
pretty long. I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, I mean, I talked about JC Ferrero and Antonio Cascales down in Vienna. I think Antonio Cascales maybe arguably is the, and, uh, and Juan Carlos have the, could claim to be the greatest coaches in Spain right now, for sure. Uh, considering who they're developing, you know, and, um, Alcaraz, or should I have a lot of questions? You guys joined in late, huh? Uh, Scott says, does Spain use any red, orange, green balls in their development? Yes, they do. They didn't used to use it that much. And uh, on recent visits, I have noticed that, especially for the recreational players, that is um, happening. But historically, I ha it hasn't been a, you know, a big priority like you would see maybe in France or Belgium. So I think... I don't think it's a like a taboo thing to to train with a yellow ball at a young age in Spain. I'm sure there are many pockets of the country still doing that. That may be something that's changing as the colored balls become more popular or prevalent. But typically in Spain, uh, that has I've noticed a lot of yellow ball training with young kids on clay. I think because the clay is just slow and the balls get sort of heavy and they don't, you know, it's not such a big deal. But in my last trip, I did see. A lot of the the initiation kids were using, I believe, yeah, yellow, uh, orange balls. Um, so that may be something that's happening more on the recreational level. And I just don't think the the priority is there like you would see in some of the other countries in Europe that have maybe been mandated by the ITF or, or you know, red, orange, green sort of originated in, in France and Belgium. So those countries are really obsessed with that pathway and I, I don't I haven't never seen that in as much uh, that that focus in Spain so that'd be probably the best way to answer that Alcaraz uh, you know this guy I'm, I'm I'm enjoying watching Shanghai right now and Alcaraz has something for everyone he he has something that most people almost everyone loves him because um, he has for the old school guys who like to go to the net like the old school serve and volley guys or the guys who we're bemoaning the fact that the net is a lost art. He does that beautifully. He's got great hands. He comes to the net well. He transitions beautifully. And then for the, the, uh, like the McEnroe fans, you know, the, it, he's like, the McEnroe fans love him. The old school, all court guys love him. And then all the, the Borg fans love him too because he grinds very well. He can do it all. He can stay back and outlast you. He moves beautifully. And obviously, he's incredibly fast. He's lightning fast. But then he also has this ability to come to the net. I have to ask one of my mentors, Jose Higueras, because Jose Higueras coached Sergio Bruguera back in the day. I don't know if you guys remember Sergio Bruguera. But Alcaraz reminds me in the way he moves a little bit like Sergio Bruguera, who won two Roland Garros titles in, I believe, 93 and 94 and he was coached by his dad, Luis Bruguer, the coach that I was talking about. And Jose, I used to study with Jose uh, with the USTA, high performance. And I also would go to study with Jose. I miss those days. Since COVID, I haven't seen him. I used to go to his, um, his home in Palm Springs and train with him, uh, study with him while he was training like top American players. I used to make study visits every year to, to uh, Jose Higueras, who's this very famous Spanish coach. It's amazing, amazing experience for me as a young coach. And Jose always said that he felt that Sergio Bruguera underachieved. And Sergio Bruguera could have been much better if he could move to the net and volley well and transition. And and the, the gist was, the, the sense that I got was that Jose disagreed with Luis about how Sergi should play. And Luis wanted Sergi to play like a little bit more in the back, like Borg. And Jose had this idea that he could be more of a transitional player with his speed and volley well, and that just never came to fruition. And I think in some ways that Alcaraz fulfills that. Like Alcaraz is like Sergi Bruguera uh, in terms of his athleticism, but with this wonderful ability to move forward and 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 bring the battle to the net. And in many ways, he is the Spanish method 2.0 or 3.0. You know, he's, he's Nadal with great volleys. He, he can do it all. And, and I've sort of been predicting that for many years, way before Alcaraz came on the scene. I said, you know, Spanish coaches are evolving. A lot of Spanish, 
And this is where Juan Carlos Ferrero and Antonio Cascales, I think, can really flex their their muscles and 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 show off their acumen and their progressive nature because they allow they 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 created the environment for this player to to thrive and develop that allowed him to do these things and there are many pockets of the country in Spain where that's still discouraged like you know attacking early taking the ball early there's many pockets of the country where the players are still kind of taught to play like Borg way behind the baseline and that's changing I, I've I've talked about that but I just think it's a great example of, of evolution of the Spanish system while maintaining some of the great things from Spain, like some of the great parts of the method, but very smart, intelligent evolution of what, what, what it means to be Spanish and what it means to train Spanish and play Spanish. And Alcaraz is just rewriting the entire textbook as we speak, you know. And he'll be a model for probably generations of Spanish players. He can transform the whole teaching method because coaches in Spain will start, you know, encouraging players to play like that. When in the past, all of the role models from Spain were pretty much baseline players, primarily were baseline players, were grinders. Alcaraz does that, but he also has like this additional level of all-court play that's so, so great, you know. That can be hard to develop in some players too, so that, that's another, that's like a different type of development question. I had a question from Mario, is to serve train as a weapon in Spain. Right, I think that is a, a big, big letdown in Spain. I, I told you that the the serve is is not worked on that much, and I think that's a huge downer, downside, negative in Spain. It's still like it, it's like unbelievable to me that old habits die hard. The culture slow to change, and many places in Spain still the serve is kind of an afterthought. You know, the middle of the points are worked on for one hour and 50 minutes, and the last 10 minutes is serving, which is, to me, wrong. You know, the serve is obviously the most or one of the most important shots in the game. It's an incredible weapon at the high level. You have to have a dominant serve. It, it relates to that discussion that I was saying before, lack of biomechanical knowledge and application, lack of technology, use of technology, video analysis, things like that. That's one of the reasons why Spain doesn't develop a lot of big servers. They don't have a lot of good servers. I don't think Alcaraz's serve is that special, to be honest. And Nadal never had a, much of a serve. And historically, Spanish players don't usually have big serves. Feliciano Lopez is probably the, the greatest Spanish server that comes to mind. He's very naturally gifted. But in general, players from Spain have sort of mediocre serves. I know Alcaraz and his team are working really hard on his serve, and that's another example there. They, they're doing, they're, they're, they're evolving sort of the, they're, they're breaking some of the traditions in Spain in a good way, you know, they're trying to help him with that. But I think you, you really don't see a lot of serve focus. Still, it's almost 2024, and you just still have a lot of places in Spain that, that really don't spend that much time on the serve. Like, it's just like, Huge oversight, in my opinion. I've been going to Spain, I think, 17 years now, and hasn't changed, really. Maybe it changed with Juan Carlos Ferrero and and uh, Antonio Cascales. Another coach who also is very forward-thinking, I think, is Tony Nadal. And so at the Nadal Academy, where Tony is the head honcho, I think you're going you're gonna to see a great example of a coach with links to the past, respecting the past methodology, the past legends, and then at the same, you know, understanding the rationale and the logic of the of the past ways of doing things, and then carefully and and intelligently trying to evolve the training system in Spain for the modern game. That that's Tony Nadal. That's Antonio Cascales. That's Juan Carlos Ferrero for sure. And there may be other young coaches who are doing that intelligently, but I think for the most part, there's a lot of young coaches, a lot of small academies that may not be doing that. And they're just doing random things or they're innovating in a poor, in a, in a, with, in a mistaken way or poor way. And then the, the quality of the training suffers or they're, they're, they've lost some of the, they, they're missing some, one of, some of the essential ingredients from the past. You know, you, you want to keep the, the good stuff and build, and I think a lot of the, a lot of the coaching that I'm seeing in Spain now is something's lost from the from the, w the ways of the past that that was really things that were really important, 
And so new things are, are being added to a kind of a, a poor foundation in many parts of the country, if that makes sense. That's what I'm trying to, trying to describe. But just to wrap up, I just think Alcaraz, it, it's a footwork and positioning lesson. For any of my students or any of you guys out there, if you have kids, just try to watch Alcaraz and the way he moves in and out of the court, the way he moves laterally. It's, it's perfect. It's beautiful. And the way he can go from defense to offense and transition, he makes it look amazing because his speed is extraordinary. So not all of, our, not all of us can look like that, obviously. He kind of floats on the court like, like a ninja. He moves around the court like, like, you know, like Spider-Man, like a ninja. I'm not saying your players or you, you should move like that, but you can still learn from the principles where he'll give ground and one moment he'll be playing 10 feet behind the baseline and grinding. And then another moment he's running around, moving up to stronger court position and attacking with his forehand. And in another moment he's up on top of the baseline looking to make a transitional shot. One of the things that you shouldn't copy is the way he transitions from behind the baseline sometimes and he makes it to the net. That's only because he's so fast. Most of us should not try that. You should try to transition when you have a much better much stronger court position. So that's one caveat if you're watching his movement. Try to transition from a better mid-court position. He's so fast that sometimes he can flow and transition from much deeper balls, which is very dangerous for normal human beings. But in general, if you watch his flow, it's classically Spanish. He moves... One of the big parts of Spanish philosophy and methodology is movement in and out of the court. In and out, which is... Uh, a lot of times worked on with the X drill. So you probably heard of the X pattern drill. And the idea is just to flow back and forth through defensive and offensive uh, situations on the court. And he does that so well, but he combines it with incredible defensive movement laterally, oftentimes where he's sliding and using open stance, even on hard courts. Like he, his open stance backhand on defense and counter punching is incredible. And a great lesson for... Um, any kid or player who who is uh, close stance dominant, you you gotta watch how he defends and how he moves laterally with the backhand in the open stance. That's a, another critical area that you can learn from. And just the way that he's, it's very difficult to, for kids to learn how to flow from defense to offense to play deep. Usually, kids are sort of single-minded. Like the, some kids will play really deep in the court and kind of push or grind, and then. You know, I work with a lot of juniors. Some kids will just attack everything. And the way that he mixes those is incredible. Mixing like defensive positioning, offensive attack, transitional elements, counter punching, the range of his movement in 360 degrees is just, a, it's like a free lesson. Just, just watch him play and watch how he goes from, from the different positions on the court and try to, if, if you don't, if you can track his, the way he does his footwork also. You can watch his um, the technique of his feet if you have that may be harder to look at. But in terms of the you know the the positioning and the in and out and how he flows from defense to offense in certain tactical situations is like very very educational. That you can learn so much from that. So I'll leave you guys with that. Thought it was a great show. I appreciate all the questions. I appreciate your guys' support. We are trying to grow this YouTube channel. I have a goal to get to ten thousand subs. You know, if you like the channel, if you like what we're doing here, please subscribe and, and share with others. If you just like to tune in and you don't want to subscribe, subscribe uh, I totally understand. I don't like how, um, you know, some channels, are. they always say like, you know, like, subscribe, blah, blah, blah. You know, if you like the show, you think it's good, share with other people. I can tell you that I'm not a full-time YouTuber. This is just something I do in my spare time. I'm a full-time coach, you know, and I got four kids, so... We're trying to grow this small channel. I think the information on this channel is top-notch and cutting-edge, but you know, it, at the end of the day, we're, we're at the mercy of the algorithm, and I'm competing with a lot of YouTubers who are not really coaches. They're like full-time, or they're doing a lot. They have big marketing departments helping them you know, promote their, their, their content on YouTube, whatever. Uh, try to share with others, and uh, thank you for helping us grow the channel. I think what I will say for this channel is we have a lot of passionate, uh, passionate, intelligent followers. I really appreciate that. And I'm 
basically, I've connected with a lot of you, and I, I, I feel like that's like a family. That's it's really it's a cool thing. I'd just like to see that grow even more, and then maybe someday the algorithm will pick us up, and we'll we'll get uh, even bigger family. But thanks, guys. I thought it was an interesting show, and I'm gonna try to uh, post mo more shows regularly. I appreciate all you guys, and appreciate the support. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed the program. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and recommend the show to your friends. We greatly appreciate your likes and shares. Thank you for your support of the show and for helping us grow our audience. If you would like to train with Chris, please visit chrislewitt.com for more info. You can also join Chris's online school, clta.teachable.com, and follow his blog at prodigymaker.com. A reminder that all show archives can be found at youtube.com forward slash Chris Stewart.